Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a sad, sad little man. That is, Herod. Very warped on the inside is he. Never really satisfied with himself, for he had to always find affirmation, not from within himself as to his person, but from outside of himself. Always trying to please and willing to go to all lengths in order to get that affirmation and acceptance. Or why else when would motivate him simply because of what he saw in the face of the people and in their response to his sick way of running his kingdom. It's sad because someone like that is centered not upon other people, but someone like that is very self-centered, self-serving. And isn't it kind of a bizarre thought that someone who is so self-centered and so self-serving would be so concerned about someone else and what they thought? What a sad little man. James, the elder. It's very easy to paint Herod as this heinous villain. But let us look at the fact that he is the one extreme. The one that's in the middle, James, the elder, he is like you and me. For there's not one of us here who sits and sweats as we are this morning who doesn't think about what pleases someone else. Now you would think that that could be all shrouded in, I'm serving them. Because when I do this for them, that makes them happy. Therefore, I am all about them. When in reality, you know and I know that most of the things that we do are self-serving. That's just, unfortunately, how we roll as sinful human beings. We can think of examples, but brothers and sisters, we don't struggle doing anything but trying to please God. To please ourselves, that comes so naturally. That is always our modus operandi, how we function and how we operate. But to serve God, to serve someone else at the cost of ourselves that's the struggle. Now that's why I said, James, a sad little man. Because James and John bug the Lord of all things, God of all creation, Redeemer of their sinful souls, if one of them could sit at the right and at the left in glory. Brothers and sisters, that has nothing to do with anyone else but themselves. Now, we all love affirmation. We're made, in fact, and knit together by God to continue to receive and give it. 
problem is, like all things, Satan takes that and warps it and bends it so that the ability for us to give such affirmation is withheld. And the desire to look for affirmation even at the cost of affirming our relationship with Him, it is that which we struggle. It is that which James himself struggled. And yet, James died a martyr. Now, a martyr cannot die as a martyr unless he dies as one who is in the faith. We've got a lot in common with James. For if James can die in the faith, being so bold as to ask God in the flesh if he could sit at his right or at his left, brothers and sisters, we're in good company. This is the kind of man that you and I are or the kind of woman that you and I are because we all share that same desire of glory in this world and affirmation by other people. Now, this is something that really struck me that I've never seen before until this preparation for this sermon. Jesus tells them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Unpack that statement for you. In essence, he is saying, can you drink the cup of suffering that I drink? Can you be baptized into the death, unjust so, as I will be? And they boldly say without even giving it a thought, because like you and me, we say yes to something. We have no idea of what all the ramifications are. They say yes, yes, I will do that, Lord. And then God gives them a great statement of comfort. Now, you may look at this text and say, where's the comfort, Pastor? Because I'm not seeing it. Look at this. This is very interesting. Because when we read Jesus saying, the cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And we look at that and think, wow, he's really slamming them, telling them that, yeah, you're going to have it. Now, that's how Satan would love us to look at that. But that is not how God the Holy Spirit wishes us to only see those words. Think about it. He's saying to these two who have just expressed their vanity and their pride in open forum with the disciples listening, Jesus tells them, I will not lose you. Let me say that again. He's saying to them in those words, I'm not going to lose you. You will be drinking the same cup that I drink, which means I'm not going to let go of you and let you forego drinking that because only a believer in Christ can drink such a cup. And you will be baptized in the baptism in which I am baptized. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let your vanity and pride carry you away to hell's gates. I'm going to hold on to you as a shepherd does his sheep. And I'm going to bring you through that critical mass point when you will die for me. That's a promise, that word of God. 
and that's his promise to you and me. Lord, have mercy upon us because you and I know ourselves far too well and Satan doesn't let us forget ourselves very often, does he? And we have to ask ourselves in those moments, Lord, why do you not wash your hands of me and rid yourself of me? For I, like James, have asked for such pride and vanity to be granted. I have desired things that are far above me. And bottom line, I have served myself far more than I serve others. And God is saying to you and to me in this text this morning, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm not going to let go of you and your stubborn pride. I'm not going to let go of you and your vanity. I am going to crush you. I am going to sift you. I am going to cause you to drink things that you do not wish to drink. But I will hold on to you throughout every stage of such difficult times, and I will bring you into heaven. And I alone will be the one whom you look upon in heaven and say, to God be the glory. Those are great words of comfort. That's what Paul wrote about in the epistle reading. In all these things we are more than conquerors. I am sure that neither death nor life nor thing, angels, rulers, things present nor things to come, nothing can separate us. Why could Paul, who knew his hypocrisy better than you and I do by reading it, say such things? And how could Paul, who knew what he had done and knew the struggle of which he spoke in the seventh chapter of Romans, speak such words of confidence? It is because of what God had said to his main servant, James. Yes, you will suffer for the sake of my name. Yes, you will struggle with your flesh to the point of almost going crazy at times in your head and in your heart. But you will not be let go of. You will finish that cup to its dregs. You will be baptized, and I will bring you into my kingdom. That is what James died in. You know those moments before someone dies? It is often said that those moments can be very difficult. Doubts and questions rise up. Concerns and fears and anxieties well up. If James had any of these, as he heard the steps of the executioner walk up, as he saw the shadow of that great sword being lifted, they all disappeared with this promise because he realized at that moment he was fulfilling what God said God would do in his life. God was fulfilling what God said he would do in James' life. And brothers and sisters, he will do that in yours. That's your promise. Be at peace. Paul's confirmation of such a great promise is the same thing that Jesus gave to James. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Repent and believe in his name. Amen.